Welcome back to WTM. Watch this movie. I am your host, Eric Mulder. Eric, he is a bad, bad man. He's not that bad. <laughs> not, yeah, I guess not that He's much. kind of a good guy. It's kind of a, you know, a shitty sounder, but oh well, <laughs> I'll fix it one of these days. Uh, the other person speaking is Mr. Wolfie T. How's it going? Pretty, pretty good. Wait for the wolf who should be coming directly. You send in the wolf? Word. Word, Cotton. Today, we're letting you catch up to us on WTM. First episode we did, Jones and I, uh, top five movies from our birth year. Which mine was 86, his was 88. Yours just so happens to fall in 1987. That's right. So, we're going to let you catch up to us and then uh, give a little perspective on the movies that came out. While you were born, I'm hopping on mine. Since me and Jones didn't do, you know, we didn't do lists of each other's years. We just did our own. But we'll be a little competitive this time. <laughs> so, 87. Uh, you may not want to give us your birthday, but how about a month? It was, uh, it was uh, February. 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 See, Brett uh, here doesn't, he wants to stay off the grid. So, you're not yeah. going to see pictures of Brett. You're not going <laughs> to. You're not going to find out his birthday. You're not going to find out was a, was his a, last name is. It was a few weeks before Hulk Hogan picked up Andre the Giant over his head and slammed <laughs> him in the middle of the Pontiac Silverdome in front of 93,000 people at WrestleMania 3. Uh, is that your first memory? <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Yes. I remember it uh, a few weeks old. I was there. It's <laughs> there in spirit. I was just a young tyke. Well, I was only one. <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, a lot of these movies, especially in the late 80s, those are the ones we watched over and over again. They were on TV constantly. Yeah. USA, TBS, even the, you know, Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon movies on network cable or network television. Yep. With uh, 10 minutes of commercials after five minutes of movie and all the good stuff cut out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, edited for time. and But the commercials weren't as bad back back then. I mean, it was when they had to edit a lot of stuff out. Yeah. There'd be a lot more breaks in there. I think it was worse when you when you got it on the local channels on the weekend. They they showed a whole lot of, hell of a lot more commercials then as opposed to the ones on cable. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, we were, uh, we were going to do Old Boy this week, Jones and I. We're going to break down Old Boy, but uh, he's got some wedding plans he's got to take care of. Him and the, you know, soon-to-be Sam Jones. You know, they got to take care of shit. Getting married. What's that like? 
growing up doing stuff. Ugh. <laughs> Tell me about it. He's younger than both of us. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for making us feel bad about not doing stuff with our lives. <laughs> hey, we put work in. I know you're putting in work over your place. Your DVR is full up. It's true. It's uh, it's regularly uh, close to 90% or higher full of movies. And I, I need to watch some of those. So probably yeah. should stop recording them. Yeah, you don't use on-demand for enough things. That's true. That's true. I like recording them, uh, especially the ones that are, are just one-time airings, like uh, in the middle of the night on... I'm going to make myself feel, uh, I'm put myself in a position here in the middle of the night on channels like Cinemax <laughs> or Showtime, but not those movies, guys, but like regular movies that they, mm. they just show once as filler that aren't on demand. I was looking at uh Turner classic movies selection on demand selection last night. Yep. I saw Dolomite was on there. Yeah. They, I think <laughs> they showed it last, uh, last weekend, uh, I forgot about that. It was on at like 2 a.m. or something on Saturday night. but uh, Yeah, kind of a different like poster picture for it. It's kind of cool. Yeah. The the thing about Turner Classic Movies On Demand is they'll show the movie on their channel and then it'll be on demand for one or two days and then it'll be gone. Like week tops. I saw a bunch that are like ending tomorrow and then like some ending on like Tuesday next week. Yeah. Yeah, today is Thursday, the twenty seventh. Yes, of April. So twenty seventeen. So if you want to catch something on TCM, either you gotta you gotta record it, if you're not gonna watch it right away, or you gotta get on there, and watch it. <laughs> that you do. Well, let's get to the task at hand. Yeah, we haven't done actually too many of these top five lists, and these are this is actually your first, I believe. Yes top five list that you've done that's right it's pretty much a favorites type of game we don't just take all the movies and look at what critics said and like well this movie is held in much higher esteem than this one so it's number one on my list it's more of it's a combination of well it has to be at least a a decent movie and then something that you liked yeah probably personal preference so yeah is that uh is that how you went about making your list yeah I, i just did uh my five favorite movies of the year well there you go i'm sure there'll be some winners in there i think they're all winners yeah probably but i don't know <laughs> we might have disagreements so we're, well, we're competing on this one we'll see the best I, I, of your birth year i have a feeling that some of the movies on your list will be ones i haven't seen yet mm, maybe one i think you've seen all of them we'll see all right do you want to start or shall i it's your show. You you make the call. All right. I will go <laughs> first. <laughs> and say, usually right. we always go from 1987. We don't have to do that since they're all 87 movies. <laughs> my number five, Lethal Weapon. Not on my list. Not on your list. That's one that I, I've i told you before. I, I tried watching that one time, and I was super tired, and I fell asleep about 20 minutes in. Mm-hmm. And I woke up and the end credits were playing. And, Some saxophone uh, coming <laughs> at you. And I never went back and watched it again. But uh, I've heard good things. Oh, you gotta, you gotta check out Lethal Weapon, brah. Uh, directed by Richard Donner. 
starring Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, Gary Busey, uh, Mitchell Ryan, and Tom Atkins. See, is he of the famous diet? <laughs> no, as in uh, Mr. Tom Atkins that I met from uh, Night of the Creeps, oh, yeah. Halloween 3, and um, I think Salt and Precinct 13. He's a bunch of Carpenter movies because he's in uh, Escape from New York. Okay. And maybe even the second one. I can't remember. I'd probably know him if I saw him. Oh, yeah. I have, um, I have three Halloween sequels on my DVR right now. I have, I have two, three, and The Curse of Michael Myers. And I have not watched any of them yet. So when I get to the number three, I'll look out for Tom Atkins. It's a lethal weapon. Uh, plot synopsis. A veteran policeman, Murtaugh, is partnered with a younger suicidal officer, Riggs. I heard both- Murtaugh's too old for this shit. <laughs> is that, that true? He is. They both have one thing in common. Hating working in pairs. Now they must learn to work with one another to stop a gang of drug smugglers. Uh, written by Shane Black, who's incredible. Uh, did Predator. He was in Predator as well. Uh, do you remember him in Predator? He was a guy with the glasses. Dies uh, off pretty early. Yeah, probably. But uh, yeah, wrote and uh, didn't direct Last Boy Scout, but he did write it. But he wrote and direct Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, directed Iron Man 3, um, and then he uh, most recently wrote and directed uh, The Nice Guys. Which is fantastic. Yeah, it was probably my favorite comedy of last year. I really enjoyed it. Phenomenal. Go out and see The Nice Guys. Um, another uh, a couple of fun facts, Lethal Weapon. Um, Darlene Love is plays Murtaugh's, you know, Danny Glover's wife. You know who Darlene Love is? The name sounds familiar. I, I can't uh, place it, though. Uh, she did have one number one hit in, like, 62 or 63, but she's famous for being kind of a backup singer. Okay. Um, she was in that documentary a few years ago, 20 Feet from Stardom. I don't remember that one. Uh, it was it won Best Documentary, and she went up at the Oscars during the acceptance speech, or speech and just, like, busted out in a song, oh. like, during the thank you speech. And it just went on for like three, four minutes. People just let it happen. <laughs> like, oh, it's Darlene Love, and she's singing. So I thought you were going to say during the speech she went out and stood in the shadows uh, behind the, the director or something. No, no, no. She uh, she walked 20 feet up to the podium. Because <laughs> she was 20 feet away from stardom. Uh, yeah, another good documentary about uh, a lot of famous backup singers and whatnot. Um, Gary Busey plays one of the villains he plays the number one henchman in lethal weapon mr joshua is his name (laughs) not like something joshua everyone everyone mr joshua is his full name you don't call him josh or joshua it's mr joshua and he's a he's a pretty big badass in here he had never played a villain before a bad guy of any kind he was still you know riding off the coattails of being nominated for best actor for uh, the buddy holly story and I think that was before his uh, his accident too. I think so, right before then. Yeah. So probably, he was still a couple of years maybe. He still has wits about him. <laughs> but yeah, Lethal Weapon one and two are both phenomenal. I don't. I can't even. I think I'd have to give the nod to the first one just because it's the first one, the original. Yeah. But two is so damn good too. But yeah, the first one it really obviously it was. The buddy cop craze had already been going strong. 48 Hours was in like 82 or 84. 
Um, Beverly Hills Cop was 84, 85. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2 came out in 87. A lot of Eddie Murphy uh, buddy cop movies happening. Yeah, a lot of, you know, black and white cops together. Just like this movie. So, yeah, this one, uh, it could be maybe the best buddy cop movie of the 80s, I might say. Not sure. I'd have to I'd have to debate it amongst myself <laughs> for a while. But, you know, this 48 Hours, Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, I think it would be a tough one between this and Beverly Hills Cop. Because that one's pretty awesome as well. But that's my number five, Lethal Weapon. If you haven't seen it, like Mr. Doofus Wolfie T over here, go out and see it. Seen like ten minutes of it. You know, I feel like you should, you know, <laughs> probably watch the rest. Well, you should, you know, get your movie card taken away. It's just been revoked. <laughs> that's from Lethal Weapon two. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. My number five is Hellraiser. Ooh. Uh, an unfaithful wife encounters the zombie of her dead lover. Demons are pursuing him after he escaped their sadomasochistic underworld. Uh, written and directed by Clive Barker. Uh, starring Andrew Robinson, Claire Higgins, Ashley Lawrence, Sean Chapman, and Doug Bradley as Pinhead. And uh, yeah, this one's uh, pretty good. It's very bloody. <laughs> very bloody. Um, so basically, uh, this dude is, uh, interested in finding all the, uh, pleasures of the world and he, he finds himself a little, uh, puzzle box, which, uh, proceeds to shoot out a bunch of chains and hooks and rip them to shreds. <laughs> and then, uh, he gets his brother's wife to kill people so he can be reincarnated. And, uh, yeah, like it said, demons are trying to keep him from coming back to life and getting away so yeah i was giving you shit uh for you know not seeing lethal weapon but now i gotta get shit because <laughs> i i still have not seen hellraiser not seen hellraiser it's been on my list on netflix for like ever because it never leaves netflix <laughs> um and yeah it made my honorable mentions because i'm pretty sure i'm gonna like it yeah quite a bit when i see it but couldn't put it on my list haven't seen it i'm just an asshole it's pretty good one thing I saw um, on IMDb, they said uh, the guy who played Pinhead, um, they had a they had a post production party for the cast and crew, mm-hmm. and uh, everybody was super nice to him during the filming of the movie, and he, he was a really good relationship with everybody. But uh, at the post production party, they just ignored him. Just like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> then he realized, oh, nobody's ever seen me without my makeup on. <laughs> Doug Bradley, that was his name? Yeah, so Doug Bradley had to introduce himself to the cast and crew again that he had been working with the whole time because nobody knew who he was. He's been at Crypticon a couple of times. Yeah? Um, I think I've seen him one of the times. But yeah, I hadn't seen Hellraiser at the time, so I wasn't having him you know, sign stuff. Um, speaking of which, oh, I already told you that, right? That Marky Ramon is going to be at Crypticon this yeah. year? Yeah. Seems like such an odd choice, but somebody was telling me he was involved with Trick or Treat or some other movie, perhaps. Was he? I don't know. I don't know. I had never heard of him before. Yeah. Marky Ramone of the Ramones, for people that are wondering. The last surviving (laughs) member of the Ramones is the drummer. But he wasn't an original 
remember. I think he came on in like their second album or third album or something. I I don't know enough about the Ramones. I never got into them. So that's yeah, more of a Jones is into them quite a bit, I think. But all right, anything else you want to add about Hellraiser? No, no that's about it. It's uh, a lot of S and M shit and uh, murder and uh, bloodletting and uh, gotta love that bloodletting hooks and chains and shit. So yeah, don't watch it with your parents. Some chains, handcuffs, smack a little booty up with my belt. <laughs> uh, number four for me, Evil Dead 2. That is also my number four. Oh, perfect. We aligned. The stars aligned for this one. Directed by Sam Raimi, starring Bruce Campbell, Sarah Barry, Dan Hicks, Casey Wesley. Plot synopsis. Ashley Williams travels to a secluded cabin in the woods with his girlfriend, Linda, where they find a tape recording of a professor and a book of evil. This unleashes a bunch of evil spirits that constantly terrorize Ash. Meanwhile, a journalist comes to the area to study the book of evil. Ash and her end up having to survive this swarm of evil until morning comes. Yep. Evil Dead 2. It's kind of, it's a little weird to talk about because it's not a straight-up sequel and it's not a straight-up reboot. Yeah. It's kind of like they did the first one with a bigger budget. Yeah. But it's it's more than that. Because there's a lot of stuff that they did in the first one. It's really reminiscent of the first one that they mm-hmm. redid in the second. But the second one is a little more comedic. And uh, there's, yep. there's some other stuff that uh, I think it focuses a lot more on Ash uh, than the first one did. Yeah, they really crank up the humor in the second one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think what helped me uh, like this one even more, or the series as a whole, is the the Ash vs. Evil Dead TV show, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Yeah, great. I've only seen the first season, but it was great. There's there's some fantastic stuff in the second season. There's, uh, there's one scene in particular in one of the episodes that I don't know if I've laughed harder at anything. <laughs> good i'm excited <laughs> but uh but this uh evil dead 2 was kind of where they started really pushing the uh the horror or, and or the comedy aspect of the movie mm-hmm. um but they still have a lot of the horror aspects the the deadites and the you know the r- really uh bloody violent scenes just over the top violence and blood but uh yeah because i think a lot of the humor in the first one is mostly unintentional because it seems like, I mean, they've pretty much said as much too. They were trying to make kind of just a legit horror movie. Yeah. Maybe with a little bit of humor in there, but pretty much a straight up horror and low budget, a lot of cheesy stuff in there made it a lot funnier than it was probably intended to be. Yeah. But in this one, they a lot more intentional comedy and uh, I think it worked out well. It's one of those films that everyone considers, you know, with the sequels better than the original. Yeah, you know, Terminator Two, Aliens, Godfather Two. You know, de- people debate them. Yep. I'm not saying all those sequels are better, but Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yeah, that one is funnier. Although I do like the first one a lot too. Fucking Napoleon, it's Waterloo is hilarious. <laughs> uh, I have a few fun facts. You might have some as well. Yeah, talking about the not necessarily a remake. I mean, it's a sequel, but there's continuity errors if it's a sequel. Because yeah. the cabin shouldn't be there. 
the bridge should be out. Right. Um, there's a bunch of other, there's like at least like seven major things that well, the, in the first one that shouldn't be in the second one. And they reshot a whole bunch of stuff from the first movie because apparently they didn't have the rights to show the clips yeah. in the movie. Yeah, I saw that. It's like they couldn't get the rights to their own. They must have signed something off. Yeah. For, you know, budget purposes in the first one, gave the rights away to it. So, yeah, they had to reshoot to explain, like, how Ash is, like, getting to the cabin and all that. They had to recap the first one since they right. couldn't use footage from the first one. <laughs> um, yeah, that was kind of the fun facts I had about it, just explaining the sequelness of it. One thing that I saw was... Uh... Uh, they claim Stephen King is kind of responsible for talking uh, Dino De Laurentiis into financing the movie because he liked the, mm-hmm. the original so much. And they said he got the, him to do it while he was shooting Maximum Overdrive. So apparently they agreed to shoot Evil Dead 2 before Maximum Overdrive was finished, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, uh, Stephen King was also on a lot of cocaine at the time. <laughs> But uh, this was luckily one of the uh, good decisions he made right. on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, give them all the money they want. This is going to be great. <laughs> Just like Maximum Overdrive. Right. Oof, the coke in that movie. <laughs> Maximum Overdrive. That one's also on my DVR. Oh, yeah? Yeah. A lot of stuff I need to watch. It's in my it's in my collection. <laughs> it's in my collection now, since we did it for... Uh, our horror extravaganza last year. But yeah, Evil Dead 2. Check that out. So since that was your number four, yep. we go on to my number three. Yeah. Which is Barfly. Take it, you've never seen Barfly? I've not, not seen it. Barfly, directed by Barbet Schroeder, or Schrader, starring Mickey Rourke, Faye Dunaway, uh, Jack Nance, and Frank Stallone, as in... Um, Sylvester's brother. Yeah. He does a lot of stuff on True TV. Well, one of their shows. World's Dumbest. He He's one of the <laughs> panelists on there. Oh, really? Yeah. He's, so he's and, not the world's dumbest? Him and Danny Bonaducci and uh, uh, what's her name? Tanya Harding's on there. I don't know if that show is still on. I don't think they make new episodes anymore. Yeah, he plays like the kind of the main bartender, kind of an antagonist. Because he, uh, well, I'll give the quick little synopsis here. It's based on the life of successful poet uh, Charles Bukowski and his exploits in Hollywood during the 80s. Kind of his heavy drinking 80s period. Which he was doing heavy drinking most all the time. But this kind of focuses just L.A. in the 80s. Yeah, I really know poets. So, uh... Well, this is, he's a different <laughs> kind of poet, let's put it that way. Yeah, the real person's name is Charles Bukowski. But it, in the movie, Mickey Rourke's name is Henry Chinaski. Okay. But uh, it was also kind of based off of his... So it was like an unauthorized biopic. No, it was authorized because uh, Bukowski was involved in the whole process. Okay. Um, with writing it. Um, they even used some of the same buildings and like bars he went to. Even like one of my fun facts here. Let's see, Wanda's apartment. Wanda's Faye Dunaway's character. She's a kind of another drunk barfly that he meets in a bar, and they just, they're both alcoholics, so they kind of get along and just start hanging out. <laughs> Not even really, like, having sex, at least right. at first. Like, you think that's what they're going to do, but they take a long time before they 
really get together. They're just like he's just, he moves in before they've even <laughs> like kissed, basically. Well, if they're both drunk all the time. Yeah. Let's see here. Yeah, her apartment is the same building that Bukowski and his lover Jane Baker Cooley lived. But it turned out to be a coincidence because he noticed it like when he saw it. He's like, oh, yeah. that was the building I lived in with that woman that they're talking about <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> so that was kind of a crazy coincidence. Like I said, it's kind of a semi-autobiography of Bukowski. He makes a silent uh, cameo appearance. He's in. He's a bar patron in one of the bar scenes. There's different accounts of his view of Mickey Rourke's take on his character. There's one that was like, ah, you know, he kind of didn't get it right, yada, yada, yada. But then another interview for a paper, he was he had nothing but glowing remarks about Mickey Rourke. You know, he's like, he did everything, you know, perfect. He made it at his own a little bit here and there. But uh, he really got the essence of the character right, things like that. So I think on the whole, um, he got the character right, which is kind of the just a, a drunken bum yeah. who's very kind of happy-go-lucky, but he's very philosophic, very poetic in his writing. He basically spends all day. He might have an odd job here and there, but he does, really doesn't work. You don't even really know how he's paying for his shithole apartment that he has, like, no food in. He doesn't really yeah. eat much. He just kind of drinks all day, goes to the bars, comes back. He'll write sometimes and listen to the radio. But he just likes hanging out, drinking with people, and getting into fights with Frank Stallone, who he <laughs> picks a fight with him almost every night. And he gets his ass whooped in the alley every night. Oh, I bet that wouldn't happen in real life, though. Hmm, could have been. Okay, I can see Mickey Rourke. Uh, Mickey Rourke. He well, was this a- is 87. This is before his boxing days, but I'm sure he was a little uh, cocky. Although, although Frank Stallone probably trained a little bit too considering his brother was rocky but yeah that bukowski in real life he's just a fascinating character i'd like to uh, get some of his his works to read be pretty interesting but yeah he's kind of like uh i don't know just a kind of a poor man's philosopher the common man philosopher but everything he said is is very his vocabulary is outstanding for just a drunk yeah like half the stuff he says, you're just like, that is very deep. Aren't you <laughs> shit-faced right now? Like, how are you doing this? Some people get deeper the the more drunk they get. And he was kind of discovered because he didn't, he didn't have to live his whole life in squalor. But it's not yeah. like he became a rich fat cat or anything like that. But he enjoyed some success more so, I think, in the, yeah, in the 80s and then into the 90s. So he's kind of an underground poet philosopher. All right. It's a really fun movie, kind of a hangout movie, because you're just following along. They get shit-faced and gets into fights and just kind of bums around L.A. But it's a cool little, you know, time capsule. Francis Ford Coppola uh, presented it. So, you know, it says, Francis Ford Coppola presents. You're like, what? The Francis Ford Coppola do this? No. He didn't direct it, but he, had, uh, he helped out with the uh, production to kind of get all the funding and the people that they wanted and things like that. So, yeah, check out Barfly. Uh, I also I talk about it in the Discover Movies section of our website, WTMWatchThisMovie.com. Cheap um, plug. <laughs> what is that? Cheap plug. Oh, <laughs> cheap plug. <laughs> like you said, cheap blog. <laughs> it's like, well, it's not, not really a blog so much as <laughs> Jones has. We do have a blog page that pretty much Jones just enters stuff into every now and then. And Discover Movies... I haven't put an entry in there in a while. There's 10 movies in there 
right now kind of lesser known films like this. Uh, but then in our, our ratings section, there's about 140 movies we have rated on there right now. Really? Oh, yeah, there's 140 on there. But I need to check out our website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as we talked about, uh, Brett likes to stay off the grid. and Because uh, I offered him to, if he wanted to put a little about me, about himself on the website, anything anything like that. Nope. 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 <laughs> <laughs> nope. Off the grid. Nope. They already know too much. That they do. Oh. So, yeah, Barfly, check it out. All right. What's your number three? I'm guessing my number three is on your list. Uh, it's Predator. Actually, not on my list. Not on your list. I know. I you love know, Predator. You but Predator on your list? I had uh, I basically got down to, because I have a lot of honorable mentions. That's one of them. Right. It pretty much came down between Predator, um, Lethal Weapon, and like uh, Raising Arizona. Okay. Which, I don't know if that's on your list or not, but... It's on my DVR. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I just had had to go with Lethal Weapon. I had to do it, but go ahead. So, Predator, a team of commandos on a mission in the Central American jungle find themselves hunted by an extraterrestrial warrior. Uh, Directed by John McTiernan, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers, uh, Elpedia Carrillo, Bill Duke, Jesse Ventura... Sonny Landon, or Landham, uh, Richard Chavez, R.G. Armstrong, Shane Black, Kevin Peter Hall as the Predator. There was Shane Black. So, well, so I believe he wrote Predator Two, didn't he? Not, uh, I'm talking about Predator One, not oh, not the sequel. He wrote Predator, correct? Predator. Huh? What? Did Shane Black write Predator? Predator? No, it was written by Jim Thomas and John Thomas. Okay, the Thomas brothers. Wasn't even like story by. You can keep talking. I'm just gonna look up. No, Predator is fantastic. Love this movie. Um, So basically, you know, the Predator. Everybody knows the Predator, right? (laughs) (laughs) He's a big, big muscular motherfucker with dreads. Uh, And he, he, every uh, what, every couple decades, one of them comes down to Earth to hunt humans. Is that the story? I don't even know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they come down to Earth, they hunt humans, and uh, Carl Weathers uh, asks Arnold Schwarzenegger's character to bring his crew down for a secret mission. And then uh, he, when they get there, he tells them uh, they're, what, fr- freeing some refugees, when really they're there to try to catch the Predator, which they never call it the Predator, but that's what it is. It's the name of the movie. But Jesse Ventura doesn't have time to bleed. <laughs> he also says some very derogatory things about the other people when they refuse some uh, chewing tobacco, which is not very PC to say this day and age. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is also the the movie where uh, Arnold tells uh, the character, get to the chopper. I'm sure everybody's heard that. Um Oh, hold on a second to figure out what the Shane Black deal is. So as a favor to writer Shane Black, whose first screenplay had become Silver's blockbuster Lethal Weapon, Joel Silver, producer, okay. who also produced one of the producers on Predator, he hired Black to play that role in the film as like a favor, like a thank you for you know Lethal Weapon being a big hit. 
So that's always in there. I thought maybe he wrote an early draft, but apparently not. Maybe. Maybe not. But yeah, it's uh fantastic. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, Predator's pretty awesome. I especially love the well there's the there's the mud scene at the end where he covers himself up in mud, but then like the right before then it was kinda of when the, the Native American character Yeah offers himself up as like a sacrifice he he cuts himself. That was like one of the most baller things I think he could do. Well that's <laughs> pretty badass. That's one of the funny things in the movie too is uh back in the before the nineties, Native American characters were like magic. Like <laughs> he's the only one that can like track the predator. Everybody else is just like looking around because because he he can uh, turn himself invisible, and, and nobody else knows where he is. But Billy, the Native American character, can like sniff him out and mm-hmm. fucking he's tracking him, the alien, because obviously he's got magic Native American powers. Oh yeah, they're all good trackers. <laughs> just watch any movie about him, a TV know? show, and he's he's all about uh, you know. The, the mythical, you know, stories and shit like that, but... God, that, that trope or stereotype, whatever you want to call it, that <laughs> yeah. is... I wonder how long that's been going on since Westerns were invented, probably. Because I even remember, you know, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, they're being tracked by these people, and they, they got this really, like, prestigious tracker, and it's a Native American who's yeah. sniffing them out. It's just bad guys innate ability to, to track people or things. Or animals. I haven't seen it so much lately. In more recent movies, as they uh, kind of shy away from stereotypes, yeah, like that. But you know, Walking Dead right now had the uh, Daryl Dixon, played by uh, Norman Reedus. He's like kind of the tracker of the group. He's not Native American. He's just really good at tracking people, tracking things. So they kind of use him for that. So I think a lot of TV shows and movies these days kind of strain away from the, well, we need a Native American in here. Otherwise, we can't track the good guys or the bad guys, whoever they're right. chasing, you know. They're always, like, you know, licking stuff, you know, putting like their the finger dirt in or things whatever. and then, like, yeah. you know, licking it or smelling it. And, putting their ear to the ground. Yeah, listening. yeah, that kind of stuff. <laughs> like, That's all you got to do, I guess. really hokey shit. <laughs> but, uh. I guess you could have worse stereotypes. But yeah, there's some real badass man shit going on in Predator with him oh, yeah. doing the sacrifice and then like Arnold at the end like, Predator! <laughs> That's pretty sweet. If it bleeds, we can kill it. <laughs> Jesse Ventura has a Gatling gun at one point and just fucking starts shooting into the woods. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has like a minigun or something, right? Yeah, it's like something that would be physically impossible to, to I think he got it from shoot. the helicopter, I think. <laughs> yeah. The minigun from the helicopter, I think yeah. is what it is. It he's just detached it and just, he just got, ain't got time to bleed. He's just carrying it around. Minnesota native, Jesse Ventura. <laughs> oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> governor of our fine state, former governor. I read that uh, the crew told Jesse Ventura that his arms were bigger than Arnold's, so he challenged Arnold to a... <laughs> a uh, biggest arms contest and Arnold won because he paid the crew members to tell Jesse that his arms were bigger when he knew that his were already were actually bigger than Jesse's and Jesse was pissed <laughs> well they were uh, they were really good friends in the 80s and they did a bunch of 90s. movies together the running man comes to mind 
Yep. Um, there's another Batman one. Batman and of. Robin. Yep. Batman and Robin. Because I remember uh, <laughs> when uh, Jesse Ventura came to my high school <laughs> when he was governor. They had a radio show called Lunch with the Governor. So like we got out of class to go see him. I think I've told the story once in the podcast, but it's pertinent to this information, to this movie. So at first time I was like on break in like a study hall and I think I went to the a la carte to go get something and I had like a zebra cake and I was eating. I was walking back out in the hallway. All of a sudden Jesse Ventura is like, 30 feet away just walking towards me and i was like or like a you know, <laughs> mouthful of zebra cake so that was a little weird he went to one of the classrooms to go speak or whatever and then we uh we all get released to go down to this one of the gyms and uh he's in there doing his radio show and we get to ask some questions afterwards and he's like signing autographs and whatnot and i didn't get his autograph i didn't really yeah. care all that much but i was like he had talked about in the past like you know he's such good friends with arnold you know he's gonna maybe you know influence him help him have him make more movies in the twin cities because jingle all the way was just made in you know twin cities a couple years prior yeah and he's like oh the older they're all going up to canada because of the exchange rate <laughs> i'm like all right thanks <laughs> so yeah that was me talking to the governor but yeah he uh most people would probably view his governorship as kind of a failure wouldn't you say <laughs> I think the I think there was a pretty big deficit when he left budget deficit. I I don't know. I don't think uh, it was like the worst ever or anything. It was just like eh. I don't know if they necessarily said it was a failure, but probably not a success. Yeah, he didn't probably. he didn't get reelected. He did he ran for reelection, didn't he? I don't think he did because he refused to give uh, interviews to local media. <laughs> <laughs> He, 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 he excuses cut fucking everyone, like off he and cut on. Them off. He was doing. Uh, He's doing Trump before Trump. <laughs> well, when he was in office, he did a special appearance for the WWE when they had SummerSlam here at the Target Center. He was the special referee in the main event, and everybody got pissed at him for that because he got caught on camera swearing at one of the wrestlers during the match. <laughs> And then uh, later, he was doing commentary for the XFL when he was still in office. So, oh, that's right. Uh, and let's make us outlaws. Let's do it. Then the, the local media got pissed off, or they the local media pissed him off to the point where he just cut him off. Just like done, done with you guys. I don't know if he ever uh, uh, stopped or you know gave up his his feud with the local media. I, th- I think he's still not doing any kind of interviews with Minnesota TV or radio. Mm-hmm. And now he's kind of just a batshit crazy person, but living in Mexico. Although I thought he, uh, I think he also keeps a home in Minnesota. I know he changed his residency to like Mexico. He has yeah. like a villa down there, but I think he, yeah, he still I think has, he comes back here once in a while. I think, I think he still has some kind of home in, in the U S cause he still is, he's involved in the politics still. Yeah. All right. So that was your number two? Three. Three. All right. So now it's my number two. My number two. Wall Street. Not on my list. list. Directed by Oliver Stone. Starring Oliver. (laughs) (laughs) Starring Charlie Sheen, Michael Douglas, Daryl Hannah, Martin Sheen, and John C. McGinley. 
Plot synopsis for Wall Street. A young and impatient stockbroker is willing to do anything to get to the top, including trading on illegal inside information taken through a ruthless and greedy corporate raider who takes the youth under his wing. So, yeah, this is basically uh, Charlie Sheen is the young broker, wet behind the ears, you know, wants to make a name for himself. He's, he's putting in the hard work, you know, the late hours, but he isn't getting anywhere because he's young and yeah. just kind of a peon for you know, some firm. You'd think he was a millennial or something. <laughs> and then uh, he kind of weasels his way into Michael Douglas's office. He plays Gordon Gecko, And he's a big corporate raider, big Wall Street trader, you know, big rich guy, one of the big shots in Wall Street. And he impresses him slightly. He shows him that he's not only willing to work harder than anyone else, but also, you know, He'll break the rules if, you know, Michael Douglas tells him to, which they do. <laughs> uh, it's cool that Martin Sheen plays his dad, since he's <laughs> his dad in real life. Uh, they were together on screen before and after, but before it was in Badlands, 73, I That's believe. right. Um, him and Emilio were little kids at the time, and you can see him. They're sitting on so, like a small cameo. They're like playing in the street. Well, yeah, I think they're, like, sitting on, like, a fence that's, like, on the street. It's, like, a corner fence. Like, it wasn't a fence for anyone's house. Yeah. It was just, like, on the street. So I think they're, like, sitting there. But, yeah, this movie is one of the better 80s movies. It's one of my favorite 80s movies. And I don't mean just movies from the 80s. It's a movie about the 80s. Right. It's, like, yeah, Lethal Weapon is a, it's a time capsule, definitely. Like, yeah, you can tell it was filmed and takes place in the 80s but wall street on top of that it has it's got a kick-ass soundtrack i'm a you know i'm a sucker for 80s music but perfect example of 80s excess i think is wall street right some of the fun facts stone was actually inspired by his father lou stone who was a broker during the great depression at hayden stone which was a big uh broker back in the day so yeah it was kind of cool that I found out Oliver Stone's dad was a stockbroker. And then uh, Douglas's character, Gordon Gecko, was based on several people. I have some of them written down here. Owen Morrissey, Dennis Levine, and Ivan Boski or Boesky, B-O-E-S-K-Y, among others. Boski guy, he had a speech in which he said, uh, greed is right, which led to the famous greed is good speech. Right from michael douglas um where he says greed for lack of a better word is good in his speech to mm -hmm. a bunch of uh shareholders for a company that he's taking over but yeah it's perfect example of 80s excess it's cocaine it's money it's insider trading <laughs> which was quite prevalent in the 80s and even in the 90s you know it's it's kind of the wolf of wall street taken down a notch right you know it's not as i mean wolf of wall street came out you know almost 30 years after this mm -hmm. it came out just a few years ago but um there's a little more excess in the wolf of wall street and probably a little more exaggeration as well but wall street's a little more accurate picture of it and it really uh digs it sinks its teeth into the whole 1980s and the whole surrounding zeitgeist at the time i guess i i've seen it i didn't dislike it but they use so much jargon, like mm -hmm. uh, 
stockbroker jargon. Like it was hard. It was like they were talking a different language. It was yeah. hard for me to keep up. And it, uh, it kind of turned me off to it. Have but... you seen The Big Short? No, not yet. It's on Netflix still, I believe. That's that. Uh, it's about the financial collapse and like oh eight or whatever yeah. the housing market collapse. Uh, a couple of guys bet against the housing market and made billions, counting on the market collapsing, which nobody thought it was going to do except right. for these guys. But there's so much mortgage jargon. <laughs> there's a lot of similar terminology. You know, big words, stuff about the mortgage industry that you have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. Right. But they have different things to explain it to you. Like uh, Ryan Gosling, he isn't the main character. He's kind of a side character, but he kind of narrates. He breaks the fourth wall and, like, we'll just talk to the camera. And, like, isn't this fucking crazy? And he'll, like, <laughs> you know, point shit out to the audience. Yeah. And But then, like, he'll say, here's Margot Robbie in a bubble bath to explain more. <laughs> like, they just they start talking about mortgage terminology and then it yeah. cuts to margot robbie naked in a hot tub <laughs> telling like explaining what like a subprime mortgage is and things like that and then yeah. like they do these these cool cutaways to like famous people to explain shit to you so it's a kind of a cool way to kind of explain all the boring bullshit terminology right. that nobody gets um wall street on the other hand you know they don't have anything like that but if you watch it enough you start to get more. Right. I mean, you basically just have to know like what buying and selling a stock is. Yeah. And you can kind of get through it after, you know, one or two times. Like you can kind of follow along, but like most of the dialogue is like it was so far over my head. Yeah, me too. Like I was just like, uh, what are they? What? <laughs> but uh, yeah, when I mean they when don't, I first saw it, they it definitely was, don't dumb it down. Yeah. For the the. Well, I mean, I'm sure they do a little bit, but I mean. Even a little bit is still, you know, way over our heads. Yeah. Or the layman or right. somebody who doesn't, you know, Your trade stocks. Regular Joe. Yeah. But, I mean, I think it, it also helped that, you know, I've watched it quite a bit since then. And I've grown to like it a lot more since that first time. Yeah. So now it's kind of a, you get everything that's going on and you can follow along more. and You can understand a little better each time. But yeah, you have to like it enough to watch it more. Right. Because yeah, like someone like you is like, eh, you know, it's confusing and I don't really want to put the effort in to watch it more just so I yeah. get it more. It's kind of, it's another personal preference thing. Right. But yeah, this movie was nominated for, you know, Best Picture and um, it won, you know, Best Actor for Michael Douglas. Even though it's kind of weird because um, you could have nominated Charlie Sheen for that. Not to say that he deserved it necessarily, but. He had the leading role. So there's like two yeah. male leading roles in there. And this also has a, uh, it's kind of a funny, Daryl Hannah's in there. Do you know Sean Young? Do you know who she is? Yeah, I've heard I've heard the stories about her. Yeah, she's, uh, people don't know, she, Einhorn in Ace Ventura. Yeah. She's in Fatal Instinct, uh, Blade Runner. She's the replicant female love interest. She wanted to be in Batman Returns really, really bad. <laughs> really, really bad. <laughs> She showed up to Tim Burton's house in a Catwoman costume, just expecting to audition and get the role. Uh, but she's had numerous falling outs with productions. Uh, this one included. She is she played she plays Gordon Gecko's wife, and I believe she's only in two scenes. And she was largely cut out of the film by Oliver Stone because of friction they had, because she seems to find friction with everyone she works with. Right. There's a number of other movies. I forget which ones. I think ones with Gene Hackman or something like that. I don't know if it's No Way Out or or another like Gene Hackman movie in the late 80s where 
she was like suing people. Um, it was like numerous times where directors just don't want to deal with her. Like she, yeah. I think um, she, it came out that she has like maybe bipolar disorder or some sort of you know disability or they illness. Would, they would make sense that she has something like that. Because it kind of ruined her career. Some kind of mental Doing illness. weird stuff like, you know, showing up to Tim Burton's house in a Catwoman yeah. costume and things of that nature. A couple other things. She was in a lot of stuff in the 80s, and then it was just her relationships with her co-stars, and the directors just went to shit. Yeah. And so it leads me to believe it was pretty much probably primarily her fault. But yeah, then again, you know, I don't know what her issues were, but... That's yeah. what happened. She was fairly uh, needed medical help for her mental illness and wasn't getting it. That's probably mm-hmm. what happened. And then, you know, by the time anybody figured it out, they were done dealing with her. They just had enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was in uh, Bone Tomahawk that came out a couple of years ago. Have you seen Bone I'm Tomahawk? I've not seen that pretty sweet uh with kurt russell but yeah she has a, a minor role in there and i was like oh shit this shot yeah <laughs> she's back yeah i didn't know she was still around mm-hmm. i thought she was done well she was done for a while <laughs> from about the late 90s to the late 2000s i don't think she really did much yeah all right uh you're number two number two robocop didn't make my list it was it was, it was close I don't know how you can leave RoboCop off there. <laughs> it is pretty great. Uh, in a dystopic and crime-ridden Detroit, a terminally wounded cop returns to the force as a powerful cyborg haunted by submerged memories. Uh, directed by Paul Verhoeven, starring uh, Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, Ronnie Cox, and Kurtwood Smith. Um yeah, so it's a, a pretty accurate depiction of Detroit. Basically, a, a corporation has uh, taken over the policing of the city, and they are developing uh, robotic policemen, well, robotic police units, rather, to uh, handle the crime in the city, which is just rampant. And... Uh, I don't remember what the name of the the uh, the one unit they they uh, tested. It did not test well. It uh, it could not recognize when the uh, perpetrator had dropped his weapon, <laughs> which is a problem. Um, so this human cop uh, meets his demise. Gets a. Uh, Pretty bloody and uh, violent. Uh, <laughs> See, it's quite the death, death scene. scene. It's like, how the fuck does he not die? And I think uh, on the unrated DVD, it's even uh, even uh, more graphic than what the theatrical re- release had. Um, I think I've only Verhoeven seen... might have a director's cut, I'm sure. I think I've only seen the unrated version, so I'm not sure what the theatrical one looked like. But yeah, so they decide... This dude's dead. We don't need his permission. We're going to turn him into a cyborg. And uh, so he turns into RoboCop, and he's just, you know. He's fucking RoboCop. He's RoboCop. (laughs) It's fucking awesome. He Um, starts demolishing everyone in Detroit. Just taking down crime and, you know, rapists, drug dealers, murderers. Now, the backstory to RoboCop was everything went into 
you know, the whole town turned into squalor because the water <laughs> went bad, right? Is that what happened? <laughs> I, I forget. That's that's probably right. That's probably true. That's probably true. It's bullshit, but you can relate it to Flint if I want to. But it's, <laughs> it's. I mean, if they're going to just pick a town of, out of a hat that's going to go to shit and go bankrupt and have to sell its police force to a corporation, <laughs> Detroit was a good pick. <laughs> well, if, even at the time, it's like, Detroit was doing pretty well in the eighties, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was. Uh, I don't think not, it really went downhill until what early two thousands. Yeah. It, well, I don't think it started going downhill till around the the time the the housing uh, market market crashed. Yeah. So and maybe then, mid to late two thousands when it kind of turned to shit. Yeah. And now there's just streets of empty houses, except for one where a blind veteran lives with. Three hundred thousand dollars cash in his. Oh, that's that's don't breathe. That's... <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know you'd seen Don't Breathe. Yeah, I, I saw it in the theater. You never look at a turkey baser the same day. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, RoboCop. Yeah, uh, Kurtwood Smith. You might know him as Red from that seventies show. Mm-hmm. And it was, was uh, a pretty interesting role for him. As the uh, one of the main villains. Yeah, it's kind of odd when you see these like people that become really famous on TV, and then they're like a villain or a good guy in a kind of a. Well, I mean, RoboCop's a pretty popular, you know, not obscure at all movie, but right. like other older movies, you're like, holy shit, that's he's the bad guy in this, really? Yeah, it's always fun when you run into those. Actually, I, I read. Uh... It sounds like they're putting up a RoboCop statue in Detroit. Mm, nice. Which uh, good thing they you know put their money to good use, <laughs> taxpayer money. Well, it's I think they did a uh, uh, GoFundMe or one of those type yeah. of deals. Yeah, I'm but, I'm guessing they kind of had to. With I mean, <laughs> Flint's like, come on, we're right next to you. <laughs> you can't throw us a few bucks. We need some water. You know what amazes me is. How many collegiate D1 and professional athletes Flint, Michigan produces? It's pretty amazing. Well, they grew up watching the Flint Tropics, obviously. <laughs> they can but, ball in the ABA. But if all the if all the water feral and- if all the water is poisoning these people, how are they becoming professional athletes? Like, <laughs> I don't I don't know. There's, that, there's all the rust of- the rusty water is putting iron <laughs> into their systems. They're it getting strong. Be. Get some strong blood going. Must get the be. blood going. Get the muscles going. Because there's a there's a lot more pro athletes from Flint, Michigan, than there are from uh, the Twin Cities. No, no, no. Let's let's count them. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to add about RoboCop? Uh, one other thing that I thought was interesting was apparently the original theatrical trailer had the, um, the uh, the theme music from the Terminator in it. So people thought it was a Terminator sequel or spinoff, mm. and it's not. It's completely different. But uh, that seems a little deceptive advertising there by the production company to use the Terminator song in the advertising for RoboCop. So my number one, and hopefully your number one, Uh-oh. are the same. Uh-oh. Full Metal Jacket. Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> yes. So I was wondering, I was like, this has got to be on his list. He's a Kubrick guy. 
It's my favorite war movie. I don't really watch that many war movies, but this one's one of my favorite movies. Just the Cat's Meow. Directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Matthew Modine, Vincent D'Onofrio, Arlie Ermey, uh, Adam Baldwin, and Arliss Howard. Synopsis. A pragmatic U.S. Marine observes the dehumanizing effects the Vietnam War has on his fellow recruits, from their brutal boot camp training to the bloody street fighting in Hue. So, Kubrick's war movie. Nominated for Best Picture, but did not win. This was 87. Platoon won in 86. So I think the Academy had some Vietnam War fatigue and just couldn't give it to a Vietnam War movie two years in a row. What what movie won in 87, do you know? Ah, fuck, I forget. Was it Driving Miss... No, that was in 89. Uh, this is probably something shitty. But you can keep talking. I'll look it up. Yeah, so uh, Full Metal Jacket. Um, pretty famous scene at the beginning with the uh, the boot camp. Arlie Ermey uh, just undressing all the recruits just shouting uh, insults and uh just amazing fucking insults and he, and he uh apparently improvised most if not all of it mm-hmm. it was over half from and, what uh, i read it was at least over half there was some that was written but it was a lot of a lot of his own yeah and uh writing apparently he was doing them in two or three takes which uh stanley kubrick uh <laughs> is pretty famous for uh not being a two to three take type guy, he's a, he's more of a, like a 50 to 60 take type guy. So with him allowing Arlie Ermey to improvise, which is another thing that was super unusual for a Kubrick, and get it done that quickly was pretty amazing. And it's it's some of the best scenes in any movie, I would say. I mean, you can put that up against any, you know, any of the best movie scenes ever and i think it holds up but uh yeah actually i just found out that confirmed that actually full metal jacket was not nominated for best picture the last emperor won it that year but the other nominees were broadcast news fatal attraction hope and glory and moonstruck i haven't seen any of those last emperor i think i saw in film school uh broadcast news is another one i haven't seen that was um you know, heard a lot about Fatal Attraction. Yeah, it's I don't know, doesn't do a whole lot for me. It's whatever. There was a lot of those erotic thrillers in the '80s, um, kind of starting off with Body Heat and things like that. Hope and Glory, I haven't seen Moonstruck. Yeah, it's that comedy with uh, Cher and sure. Nicolas Cage. People seem to like that, but yeah, it was kind of a weaker, weaker year for movies overall. I think maybe Broadcast News is probably the one that people look back on and like, oh. This should have won. Or maybe The Last Emperor. But Well, when you refuse to nominate stuff like Robocop and Predator, you know. Full Metal Jacket, that's amazing that that didn't get nominated. Well, I mean, plus, you know, this is a... I mean, it's a, The Last Emperor is a foreign film. I mean, language... There's English in it, but there's also, you know, Mandarin and Japanese language in it. So it's not like a mainstream U.S. movie. Yeah. So that was. It's kind of cool when foreign films do well in the Oscars because they never do. Right. But yeah, I can't can't speak that much on it because I don't remember much of the Last Emperor, or even if I saw it at all, I might be thinking of something else. Uh, anyways, back to 
Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, it's when you get into Kubrick films, it's it's kind of like which one is better than the other. You're like, ah, because <laughs> you might have a list in your head, and then you start going through it, and you you just feel like, oh, this movie's at number five. No, this is. <laughs> Full Metal Jacket isn't number five. It's got to be like two or one. Like yeah. every, all of his movies, he wanted them to be two or one on the list of his movies. Except for I, I did not like 2001. And you, you should probably leave I hated that movie. the studio right now. Oh, my God. Watch it again. I don't know if I can. <laughs> it was it was so boring. But like, I love A Clockwork Orange. I love Full Metal Jacket. It's just... Two of my favorite movies. Eyes Wide Shut, you a fan of? That was all right. I, I don't think it was as good as some of his other stuff. I love The Shining. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. Barry Lyndon, I don't think you'd get into. Because it's... Uh, <laughs> it tells a story of a British... God, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he's not a man of privilege, but he be, he gets to be like a nobleman, kind of. Is that an older one? Yeah, it takes place during like uh, 1600s, I believe. Okay. And there's a lot of there's like there's a lot of duels in it, because um, Ryan O'Toole is the uh, main character, and he plays kind of a, like I said, a, a young man who was not from a lot of didn't have a lot of means, rose to prominence, kind of marrying his way into it somewhat. Okay. And he's kind of he turns from kind of a decent guy to kind of a douchebag. By the end of the movie. And it's like two hours and 40 minutes, and it's all completely natural lighting. There isn't one fake light that he used. Yeah. It's very famous for that. Like, using a lot of, in like, indoor shots with just, like, candlelight. That's it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's cool for lighting purposes, camera shots. If you're into that kind of stuff, you'll really like it. A lot of Kubrick fans in general will still like it, but you might think it's a little boring. I liked it a lot better the second time I saw it. It might be something that if I come across it, I might give it a chance just because it's Kubrick. Mm-hmm. I know uh, TCM has been showing Spartacus a, uh, quite a bit the last few months, mm-hmm. and I just haven't been able to pull the trigger on that one. I've Neither have I. I've always come across them like, I should watch Spartacus, but every time I do, well, A, I know the scene at the end because it's been yeah. parodied a million times, but B... Including that... Uh, the most recent commercial for Southwest was it? <laughs> Want to get away because the guy fucking doesn't know how his shield works. Yeah, but uh, and it's like three and a half hours long, isn't it? It's it's close to three hours, if not longer. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I know there was there was some problems in production that um, Kirk Douglas and Stanley Kubrick didn't always see eye to eye, and the studio was kind of. This was still, this was like the last movie he did before he pretty much took over all creative control. Yeah. Because he wasn't going to put up with the fucking studios anymore. Because he did Lolita after Spartacus. And that was, uh, you know, very controversial and all that. But I think it was after Spartacus. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think what Lolita was like 62 and Spartacus must have been like 60. Yeah. It was like 59. Yeah. 60 or 59 or something. Yeah. And then 2001 was 67. Clockwork 71, I think. Um, but yeah, I just I know I know it's probably not Kubrick's complete vision. I'm sure there's some studio interference in there, which yeah. kind of 
turns me off of it a little bit. I'm like, well, it's not really his whole vision, or at least mm-hmm. him himself. Which there's a lot of movies out there that are studio driven, or you know, that are good movies. These right. movies that movies that I enjoy. But if it's a Kubrick movie, I'm like, I don't, I don't want a half-ass Kubrick movie. I want a fucking Kubrick movie. Right. So I'll probably watch it sometime. Just it's not high on my list. Yeah, I, I think uh, some of the things that are preventing me is. It, it's super long and it's a period piece which i'm not super big on period pieces mm-hmm. um you know the sword and sandal type movies yeah um so uh i think eventually i'll probably w- try it just because it's kubrick um but yeah as of now I haven't pulled the trigger on that yeah i think the full metal jacket is just so good in that it's it's pretty original for at least format wise in that it's pretty much like two separate movies put together. Yeah. Like two hour long movies. Um, Cause there's halfway through there's a switch. <laughs> they're and, on Paris Island, you know, training and then they're in the war. Right. And it's pretty unlike any other Vietnam movies that had come out. Yeah. This was, I think just put a lot more emphasis on the process of like, turning young men into killers right how do they go from just a regular guy to killing motherfuckers yeah and then uh the main character is against the war so you have that Mm -hmm. dynamic where how can you be in the war when you're morally against it you know helmet says born to kill but as a peace symbol as well yeah (laughs) is that some kind of sick joke (laughs) (laughs) I think we got some kind of Joker. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, I got some fun facts here. Actually, about Private Joker. Uh, Private Joker's shirt on Paris Island reveals his name is J.T. Davis. James T. Davis was the first officially recognized U.S. casualty in Vietnam. He was killed in 1961. So that, that was a cool little. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I never heard that before. Um, Schwarzenegger. Since you brought up Predator, well, Arnold apparently turned down the role of Animal Mother to do The Running Man. It's Running Man, another 87 movie. Yep. Animal Mother, which would be played by Adam Baldwin. Um, I th- yeah, he was Animal Mother. Yeah. Yep, because sometimes I get him confused with the guy that's in the helicopter that's just killing random people. Yeah, get some. Get some. Get yeah. some. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't lead him as much. <laughs> I got. I got to admit, I like that guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, get some. Just, get some. Just killing farmers. <laughs> oh, good old Vietnam. Um, the film is entirely f- filmed in England, which is pretty funny because this is at the stage of Kubrick's career where he moved to England and is just like, I'm not <laughs> fucking going anywhere. I don't like flying or being on boats, so you're all gonna come here now. Is that there was the the shining the set for the shining was famous for being the biggest ever built and it might still have the record. I heard Crimson Peak might have beat the record for the biggest set, yeah, but the shiny had it forever and it was in that the Pinewood Studios in uh, England. And uh, I know Crimson Peak was pretty garbage. I haven't. Oh, have you seen it? Yeah, it was pretty garbage. Oh, yeah. I, I still want to check it out, but. Yeah, it didn't. It got okay reviews, but like the audience score was like fifty five or something. Yeah. Like, Meh. 
Anyways, uh, yeah, they used in like Hugh the battle for Hugh and the battle at the end of the film. They used buildings from Becton Gas Works. Um, there was this bunch of unused buildings at the time. It was kind of a worn down factory, I believe. Um, so what they did was Kubrick blew up like some of the buildings <laughs> and had like a wrecking ball go to work for like a couple of months. Like a guy would just go around to smashing holes and shit where they wanted holes and, you know, for for yeah. people to get shot through. <laughs> right. And he flew in like a shit ton of, you know, like probably hundreds of palm trees, like plastic ones from California. And when they got there, they put him up and he's like, I don't like him. I don't like him. Get, get rid of him. <laughs> like fuck so they imported like 200 spanish um what do they have here yeah spanish palm trees were flown in from spain yeah. <laughs> and uh they used that and then like a hundred thousand like plastic plants like how many people did you need to have set up a hundred thousand plants right how long would that take i mean jesus Christ. you already mentioned you know how, how many takes he does and yeah. how long his shoots are Eyes Wide Shut took pretty much three years almost to like be filmed. They said in this film, uh, Matthew Modine, during the course of filming, he got married, conceived, and then had a baby, and then that baby turned one. <laughs> <laughs> All within the production of this movie. That's how fucking long it went. That's, that's a long production <laughs> schedule. And apparently there was one story I saw that during the birth of that child, he was trying to get away from set and Stanley Cooper was like, no, you got to stay. We got to finish this. And, you know, they somehow got him to release him so you could go <laughs> see his kid get born. Yeah, those are just a few of the fun facts I have. I mean, there's a million for there's a lot of fun facts for all these. We just like to right. pick stuff out that's kind of interesting to us or, you know, maybe we might stay clear of stuff that's kind of like really famous what, like, like fun facts like two live crew really liked uh one particular scene from <laughs> that they Jacket. did they did uh there was they, actually they made a million dollars off it i'm sure <laughs> they uh there was an actual scene between joker and that prostitute there was a sex scene but they cut it because they didn't think it fit well with the movie but i don't know what two live crew was thinking because uh that prostitute did not want that black dick because it was Tubuku. too too big. Too This is pure Mississippi black snake. <laughs> Which is that that whole that doesn't make sense to me every time I watch it because she said Tubuku, Tubuku, like it's too big. Yeah. And then he whips it out and she goes, "Okay." <laughs> Cuz it was like, "Well, wait. He didn't whip out a tiny dick." <laughs> I mean, that's not the impression we get from everyone else. He doesn't go, no, no, my, my dick's tiny. Check it out. No, it's <laughs> right. fine. He's like, this is a you know a great specimen here. This is pure Mississippi black snake. And it's like, he probably whips out a big dick. And then she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, well, what? didn't that just like, go how? against everything you just said? Well, I don't like, know. Like visual confirmation of it should provide yeah. you more evidence that you don't want to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, that always bugged me. Like, I don't get what they're talking about. <laughs> Maybe she just, uh, maybe she was Vietnamese where she didn't understand it completely. I don't know. Well, you think Kubrick would have snuffed that out, though? Well, I don't know. Maybe, you know, I don't want to get into it too much, but uh, I don't know. Maybe it was the, she had just heard stories and never seen one herself. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, oh, that was, uh, you know, 
I've heard how big they are. Or yeah, maybe she thought he was like, you know, had like a, you know, twelve pound meat hammer down there or something. <laughs> I don't know, big framing nailer. But yeah, I don't know. Anyways, enough hey. about that stuff. <laughs> Anything else you want to bring up? Any any other fun facts? No, not not really. Um, it's just my favorite war movie, favorite Vietnam movie. Not a bad choice. So, yeah, Full Metal Jacket, seven six two millimeter. So yeah, I think that was a good list. I'm glad we agreed on our number one. Yeah, I think it was a good one. As Ishak Stern would say, the list is good. The list <laughs> is life. So, anything else you want to add to our whole topic here? Oh, actually, I should go over the honorable mentions because there are quite a few of them. Princess Bride. Uh, you already said Predator of the Lost Boys, The Untouchables, Spaceballs, Broadcast News, House of Games, which is a David Mamet play, and I, think, I believe he directed it as well. Um, some sections like film nerds will like that. Okay. Um, he's famous for some of the screenplays. He writes a lot of back and forth dialogue type of thing. Uh, Raising Arizona, Hoosiers. Uh, Whitnail and I, Withnail and I, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Good Morning Vietnam, Ventures in Babysitting, Dirty Dancing, Empire of the Sun, Hellraiser, House of Games, which I mentioned, Monster Squad. Seen Monster Squad? No. Heard it's pretty damn solid. People won't shut up about it. Uh, Moonstruck. That's, that's funny. I don't hear anybody talking about it. <laughs> I listen to more podcasts than you do, Oh, I guess. okay. Uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. I really wanted to try and fit that one on there, but the Running Man, which is yeah, it's not a good movie, but it is a lot of cheesy fun. The uh, I have a lot of fun with the Running Man. Yeah, I think the concept is uh is better than the movie. Um, the movie didn't quite do justice to mm -hmm. what the concept was, but yeah, there's some fun stuff in there. Uh, Wings of Desire, a foreign film that came out in '87 as well, which is a big. One of all the words that year. Very famous. I, I saw it in film school. So. Oh, yeah. It is good. I had uh, The Witches of Eastwick. You ever see that? I have not. That's actually pretty good. Yeah. With uh, Jack Nicholson banging three older broads. <laughs> yeah, that'll happen. But, uh, actually, uh, in The Witches of Eastwick, I was watching it, and there's a few scenes where Michelle Pfeiffer appears to have a pretty prominent cold sore on her lip. Oh, really? <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't find anything uh, online about it, but uh, I'm pretty sure I didn't imagine it because <laughs> it's pretty big. Makeup wasn't good enough, huh? It's pretty big. I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? Well, these actors and, and actresses are just kissing each other 24-7 in the movies. So everyone's like they spreading it around. They didn't mention it in the movie. Like, It's not like a plot point where, oh, my mm -hmm. God, the, he gave me herpes or anything like that. It's just <laughs> all of a sudden she's going to do a fucking cold sore. I so, love those cold sores. So look for that when you check out The Witches <laughs> of Eastwick. Man. You have any others? I didn't no, mention. you mentioned pretty much every movie that came out in 87 except <laughs> yeah. that one. So, All right, well, reach out to us. Uh, suggestions, criticisms, what have you. Email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. Check out our website at wtmwatchthismovie.com. Plenty of stuff on there. 
um, as well as our complete list of podcasts, which you can listen to on the site or you can download to your phone. You can also listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you please do us a favor, go ahead and give us the old rate and review on there. Hopefully five stars, but yeah, we don't ask for money or anything. We just want your reviews. That's how you can help this show. Yeah. You also follow us on Twitter at watch this underscore movie. <laughs> That's right. Plus we have a website that you mentioned, right? Yeah, I mentioned yep. that. And the uh, movies listed on there ratings. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I did. Yep. Hopefully they go there. All right. All right. Other than that, we will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Later. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking check about? Check you later. Check you later. <laughs> hey, man, you're off my case.